Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church, located in Newberry, Florida, where Rocky McKinley is our lead pastor. Thanks for tuning in. Here's today's message. Today, we begin more than a sermon series. This whole month is a campaign called Heart Four. We designed this to increase our awareness of the heart of God, the things that move God's heart. And this series is going to lead us into Serve Day on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. We do this every year. Jesus said it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath, and that is what we do on the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And if you've never been a part of that, get ready. It is one of the best events that we do, and it's probably my favorite event that we do as a church. And it is going to be a a great day. And at the end of this service, as Pastor Andrew already told you earlier, We will have uh, worship team members that will be positioned around the walls, and you will be able to go and sign up. You can also use the app and sign up there. Um, As we focus on the things that move the heart of God, our prayer is that we will care about the things that God cares about. And each week we are going to focus on a different topic uh, of things that we need to have a heart for. And, And it's very easy sometimes for us to forget these things or to put these things on a back burner. But what we want to do is bring awareness to these things and make sure that we as a church, that we are allowing God's heart to be put into to ours. On our way out today, we have free wristbands for you. How many of you like wearing these wristbands? Yeah? This has become a favorite for us. And uh, every year with this type of campaign, we offer you free wristbands. And so there's going to be somebody standing at that set of doors and this set of doors over here. And we have two sizes for you. We have the adult size and then we have the smaller size. And, and, and so make sure that you grab your wristband as you leave today and, um, and also sign up for Serve Day. One Sunday morning, there was a pastor that preached a great sermon on lifestyle evangelism. One particular family thought that they had better do something to witness to others about Jesus. They were deeply moved by the sermon. And so they decided that they wanted to invite their unsaved neighbors to dinner the following Friday night. And so Friday rolled around. And when it came time to eat, the hostess wanted to show their unbelieving neighbors that they upheld these Christian standards in their home. And so what better way to do that than to ask her five-year-old son, ask the five-year-old son, Johnny, to pray for the food. See, at the moment I said, Johnny, everybody in the room knows this is a joke. You know that always. Johnny is always in the joke. Little Johnny was a bit shy, and he looked at his mom, and he said, Mom, I don't know what to say. And there was this awkward pause with this believing family and these unbelieving neighbors sitting at the table. And the the, the pause was followed by this reassuring smile from the boy's mother as she said, Well, darling, just say what daddy said at breakfast this morning. And he said, You want me to say what daddy said? And she said, Yes, dear, just pray like daddy prayed. And so in obedience, the boy proclaimed, Oh God, we've got those awful people coming to dinner tonight. It's tough to be a witness, isn't it? It's just tough sometimes. The worst misconception in a Christian's life is that once we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that that's the goal. That we have accomplished everything that there is to accomplish as far as our spiritual life is concerned. And this is, is a very bad misconception. Many Christians and even churches develop this mentality that we are saved simply to get to heaven. 
And along the way, we expect to encounter a few potluck dinners, and uh, we seldom turn toward that which moves the actual heart of God. We, we seldom look at that. And so please allow me to interrupt your theological thought patterns and remind you today that we are not simply saved to get to heaven. And, and I just want to give you a few verses. Don't turn there. I'm going to go through these very quickly. But Matthew 28 and 19 is, is one of those verses that reassures us what our purpose is. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Many of us in the room, we know that verse, but that is a mandate on our lives to go and make disciples. Acts 1 and 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. Jesus is speaking these words and he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus tells them, you're going to be my witnesses locally and then we're going to cover the county, the nation, and then the world. So he just extends the boundaries there. And he says, I'm going to use you. When the Holy Spirit empowers you, he is empowering you to be my witnesses, not just to the local community, but all the way to the ends of the, the world. And from the beginning of Christianity, the focus has always been the lost. From the very beginning of Christianity, the focus has always been the lost. Now, many of you know what I'm talking about when I say those words, the lost. You know what I'm talking about. You immediately start thinking about that crazy uncle that uses extreme profanity at all the family reunion, reunions that you go to, and he embarrasses everybody there, including the dog. You know, everybody's embarrassed by this guy. And you think, man, he's lost. He is lost in his sin. And it's easy to point the finger at that guy. There are a number of names associated with the loss, and none of which they prefer, by the way. Uh, a matter of fact, if you feel moved by this sermon today and you want to go witness to somebody, don't walk up to them and say, you're one of those my pastor was talking about. You're, you're the loss. Don't do that. Don't do that. It's probably not going to go over really well, but there's a number of names that we use. Besides the loss, we can use sinner, unbeliever, transgressor. Notice I did not say transgender. That's a conversation for another day, so save your emails for that day, okay? There are numerous names that we have used through the years to describe people who do not have Jesus Christ. But for the sake of today's sermon, and specifically what we're going to be reading today, I want to stay focused on the term, the lost. Just look at your neighbor and say the lost. I want this to sink in. Say the lost. Say, focus on the loss. Tell them that. Say, focus on the loss. You see, though we have a tendency to shift the focus, Jesus has always been concerned with the loss. Jesus was constantly confronted by the church people. So Jesus made it his mission to try and reprogram their legalistic mentality. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law expected people to live life by a series of do's and don'ts. And if they did not live up to that expectation, they were not to be associated with. If you don't do it the way we want you to do it, then we are not going to associate with you. You are not going to be a part of our tribe. You will not be considered part of us. But Jesus wanted to change their view of those outside the family of God. Jesus acknowledged that there are people out there that they are not part of this tribe. They are not part of the family of God. And so he wanted to, 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 to make sure that he was able to reprogram their thought process on those people. Now, before someone takes what I'm saying out of context, 
you must understand that Jesus did not join in on the sinner's lifestyle. Uh, it's easy for us to, to justify our actions sometimes and say, well, Jesus was a friend of sinners and, and, and Jesus hung out with those that were sinful. And, and, and though there is, is some truth to what you are saying when you say that, it's, it, it, we have to be careful when we present that. And some of us, we have lost our ability to speak to others about Jesus because we are no different than they are. I, I know I'm going to step on a lot of toes today. I know that. I know. I know this is going to be tough. But when your lifestyle is no different than your unbelieving friend, you have lost your ability to speak into their life the things concerning Jesus Christ. The Reverend Billy Graham told the story of a time earlier in his career when he arrived in a small town where he was going to preach that night. And wanting to mail a letter, he asked a young boy where the post office was. And the young boy pointed him in the right direction and told him. And Reverend Graham thanked him and said, If you'll come to the Baptist church this, this evening, you can hear me telling everyone how to get to heaven. Billy Graham said that the little boy looked at him. He says, I don't think I'll be there because you don't even know your way to the post office. If you are heading in the same direction as your lost friends, why would they want to follow you to the cross? If your lifestyle directly reflects their lifestyle, what change has taken place in your life that makes you different than them? What has Jesus changed in your life that makes you reflect him more than you reflect the world. And as a friend of sinners, Jesus searched for them in hopes of saving them. His purpose was plain. He did not want to join in on their sinful lifestyle. He wanted to save that which was lost. That has always been his goal. From, from the beginning of his mission, it was always he wanted to save that which was lost. As a matter of fact, he preached a sermon series on the very subject. In Luke chapter 15. And so I want you to turn with me today to Luke chapter 15. And as you're turning there, I want to talk about uh, the, this event and this encounter that Jesus has with a number of people who are listening to him speak. You see, there was this one day when Jesus found himself surrounded by a large crowd of what we would refer to as lost people. People who are unbelievers. Lost people. These were the people that were unconvinced at this moment. They, they, they were spiritually confused. They were morally bankrupt. These were the sinners of that society. And so Jesus is speaking to this large number of people. And standing off to the side were the religious leaders. And they're standing over there shaking their heads. They're, they're disgruntled because Jesus is attracting those people. You know what I'm talking about. It's the people that, that they don't belong in church. It's the people that, that their lifestyle does not reflect those that you want representing the church. And so Jesus is, is ministering to those people and you've got the religious people standing over here shaking their heads at him. He would then teach a sermon series that not only explains to the sinners that they are lost and need to be saved, but, but it would also explain to the religious snoots in the crowd that they needed to share grace with these people. And it's one of the most magnificent sermons because in this moment, Jesus is killing two birds with one stone. He is speaking to the lost, but he's also speaking to the religious people. 
And he's directing both of them in the direction that they need to go. And so we pick it up, Luke chapter 15. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. And if you will, just leave your Bible open today to this chapter because I'm going to keep coming back to this over and over and over. Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who re repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And so Jesus tells them this parable. Trying to explain a heavenly principle, he shares with them this parable of the lost sheep. You see, Jesus had this incredible ability to size up the crowd. He, he was probably the best at, at, at looking at a crowd and, and, and figuring out what direction he needed to go or, or what he needed to explain even more. And if they were not getting it, he would then tell that parable to explain the kingdom principle that he was trying to teach. Obviously, in this moment, when he gets to the end of the parable of the lost sheep, he looks around the crowd and he felt like they didn't get it. They didn't get it on the first round, so he needs to dive in a little bit more. Apparently, these people are not quick to catch on, and we don't know exactly if it's the lost or if it's the religious people, but, but nevertheless, Jesus wants to dive in a little bit deeper to this, and so we go to verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And so, once again, he tells a story about something that is lost. Something that is missing. And I can almost see him scan the crowd and realize they're not getting it. They're not processing this. They're not able to figure this out. And I can almost sense the frustration as he realizes that they're just simply not getting it. You see, I've been there. I, I've preached messages before. I've stood on this very stage and, and poured my guts out and, and just knew that I was preaching this life-changing sermon only to get home and look on social media. And two hours after I preached that sermon, you have completely blew it apart because you're still posting nonsense and ignorance on your wall. God, if I've ever needed your anointing, I need it right now. The anointing breaks the yoke and I need it, Lord. So I've been there. I know what it feels like to pour out your life story in an illustration. But all of a sudden, you look at their faces and it's returning void and you, don't, you just don't get it. And you're like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. 
They didn't understand the parable of the lost sheep. They did not comprehend the parable of the lost coin. So Jesus then does something that is only recorded one time in the Bible. This is the only time that we ever see this happening. And we never see him speak quite like this again. And it is that he tells three parables in a row. This is the only time that you ever see this. That's how serious this moment is. That he is going to to leave his standard pattern of preaching and he is going to share a parable on the same principle three times. But this time, he's going to go a little bit more in detail. Because if they don't understand the sheep and they don't understand the coin, maybe if he puts actual human beings in this process, maybe then they will get it. So, verse 11 says, And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the youngest son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything... Severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father." And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. This is really what messes religious people up. Because the religious people are saying, no, there's consequences for sin. And yes, we know the wages of sin are death. However, we also know that we have a gift from God. It's called eternal life. And at the moment of repentance, no matter what you've done in the past, we know that you're able to be forgiven, that your sins are separated as far as the east is from the west, cast into a sea of forgetfulness. We know that. And Jesus shares this heavenly principle But he doesn't stop. Because he's just ministered to the lost. And to reiterate to the religious people that had no time for outsiders, the ones standing over here shaking their heads, he tells a twist to the story. Now let me explain to you what I mean by that. This is that I can't believe he's a ghost moment that we we see in the sixth sense. This is that twist in it. This is that Luke, I am your father from the empire strikes back. You're like, what? What just happened here? This is that moment that you realize they just killed Glenn off. You should have caught up on it. Shame on you. 
Just when they thought the story was over, when they thought everything was done, Jesus says, oh, by the way, I've still got one more little part I need to tell you about. And, And it's kind of a big deal. And to make sure that the people of God get it, Jesus talks about the older brother's response to the younger son's return home. And so verse 25 is where we'll start. And it says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, notice he didn't even say my brother. Didn't even refer to him as my brother. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me. And all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. You go back to the beginning of this chapter and you realize very quickly who the characters in this parable, who they are, who Jesus is talking to. The tax collectors and the sinners, they're the younger brothers that are coming home. The Pharisees and the scribes are the mean-spirited older brothers. And in all three of these parables, something of great value was missing. Church, don't miss this. This is so important for us. The the sheep was important to the shepherd. The coin was valuable to the woman. And the prodigal son mattered to his father. Jesus was teaching them the heart of God, what God longs for, what God wants to see happen with humanity. And so I think I need to just clarify this today and answer this question for you. What is the heart of God? And honestly, it's one of the most popular verses that almost everybody in this room can quote in some version, in some way. But the heart of God is displayed in John 3, 16, where it says, for God so loved the world. Now just stop there just for a moment. God so loved the world. That's not just the people who are sitting inside Destiny Community Church today. As a matter of fact, there probably are some people that are sitting inside Destiny Community Church today that they have yet to make that decision to follow Christ, and they certainly haven't done it publicly yet. But nevertheless, he loved the world. God loved the world. How much did he love the world? So much that he gave his only son for whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now let's stop just for a moment because I really want you to think about this. Some of you are here today because it's the right thing to do on Sunday. It makes everybody in your home happy and and that's why you're here. Listen to me. If that's the reason you're here, you've missed the whole point of it. 
if we don't have a heart for the lost, we've missed the point of our salvation. Churches are full every Sunday of people that do not have a heart for the lost. And I never want us to be that church. I always want us to realize that people have souls and those souls matter to God. That's what moves the heart of God. So, so let me just really get into your world just for a moment. Let, let me just make you very angry with me. That person that you can't stand, there's a reservation for them in heaven and it might be up to you to present that invitation. And you might be the only hope that Christ puts in their life. The only one that is able to forgive, present the invitation and say, let's move on. Because God's heart beats for humanity. And he calls us in Philippians chapter 2 to have the mind of Christ. Therefore, our salvation should cause us to have a heart for the lost. And if you don't have a heart for the lost, then you need to hit your knees and you need to beg God. God, break my heart for the things that break your heart. In an effort to try not to be legalistic with this, please don't think that that's where this is coming from because I love to have a good time. I, I do. I, I promise you when these services end today and, and, and a few more ministry opportunities that we're going to have after service today, I, when those things end, I promise you I'm going to go home, I'm going to relax, and I'm going to try and forget about church today. I, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to try and put some things out of my mind and put, put work out of my mind, and, and I love to have a good time. I'm going to enjoy watching TV tonight with my family. My kids are going to come back from fall retreat. I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I love watching football on Saturdays and I love managing my fantasy football team on Sundays. You know, I, I get all that kind of stuff. I understand all of that. But church, never get to the place to where those kinds of things are more important than the soul that is dying and going to hell that's sitting in the cubicle next to you at work. than the person that you can't stand because their soul matters because hell is real too. God, break our hearts for what breaks your heart. I praise God that when I was 15 years old, a 92-year-old man by the name of Morris Wiggins had the courage to have that uncomfortable conversation with me. When he invited me to the altar to pray a prayer of repentance because that conversation not only led me to eternal life through Jesus Christ but it's also given me the courage to have some uncomfortable conversations that I've had to have along the way early on in my ministry I had a friend named Poncho Poncho is a fireball for the kingdom of God. Puerto Rican carpet layer. This guy is an amazing servant for the kingdom. I'll never forget one day I was sitting in my office. I'd only been a youth pastor for three or four years, and Poncho calls me, and, and in his broken English, he tells me, he says, Pastor Rocky, I've got a friend that you need to go visit. And he tells me about a friend of his that has cancer. And he says, will you go with me to pray with this man? 
Now, you think that because I'm a pastor and that I have ministry training, you think that this is an easy task. It's easier today than it was then, trust me. As a rookie in ministry, man, my heart started beating out of my chest. Poncho was asking me to go and pray with a man that has cancer. And, and, and man, my heart is just about to explode. And, and I'm thinking to myself, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can do this. This man has never been to church. I don't know, if, I, I don't know him. I've never met him. But the next words out of my mouth were, sure, Poncho, I'll go. And I always get myself in trouble with these things. I always do. And, and, and I just don't think about it. And I said, sure, Poncho, I'll go. And he said, how about tomorrow? And I'm thinking, can't we wait for like a month? You know, wouldn't it be better if we waited a month? But the next day, Poncho picked me up in his work van. And we rode to the other side of Tampa. And we walked into this man's house. An intimidating situation turned even more intimidating. Because as we walked in, The room surrounding this man, it looks like the cast from Sons of Anarchy. I mean leather, tattoos, and I'm thinking I'm in the wrong place right now. Poncho led me over to the couch, which hospice is basically said would be this man's deathbed. He led me over to the couch and introduced me to a man by the name of Buddy. Buddy couldn't communicate, not verbally anyway. The tumor that was surrounding his throat was so big it had disfigured his neck. And Buddy's laying there on the couch and the only way he could communicate with us was through the blinking of his eyes. I introduced myself to him, and Poncho disappeared into the kitchen with the Sons of Anarchy. And I sit there, scared to death. And I told Buddy, Buddy, Poncho's told me about your condition, and I've been praying for you. And he blinked his eyes twice like he was saying thank you. told him, I said, buddy, unless there's a miracle, you're not going to get up off this couch. You know that, right? And he blinked his eyes one time. I said, buddy, I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? And buddy just closed his eyes and you could almost see his head tilt. And he was signifying to me that he did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I said, buddy, Jesus loves you. And I said, he's prepared a home for you. But unless you do what needs to be done here, you cannot experience that home He's done all the work. All you have to do is receive it. And I, I, I walked him through how Christ died for our sins and, and told him all of that. And Buddy just sitting there with his eyes looking at me, just listening. And I said, Buddy, would you like to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And he blinked one time. And I 
said, buddy, you might not be able to say it, but I want you to think it in your mind. Recite these words that I'm about to pray. And I had the opportunity to lead Buddy in the sinner's prayer. About a week later, I got the phone call that Buddy had passed away. I met him one time. But it was the most important encounter of his life. I was asked to preach his funeral. Again, I was scared to death because all of the leather-clad people with tattoos showed up. The one thing I will not do is preach somebody into heaven once they are deceased. But I was able to preach that day that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And I share with that entire room of people at that funeral home how Buddy had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and how he was resting in the presence of the Lord. The conversations about eternity are extremely uncomfortable. But it is the most important thing that we could ever do. Because I haven't always gotten that right. And there are moments that I back down from encounters like that. And I let fear grip my soul. And I wonder... Did God send anybody else to them to let them know, to give them one more chance? And there are people in your life that they matter to God. Because he has a heart for those things which are lost. A lost sheep, a lost coin, a lost son. He extends the grace and mercy into their lives through people like me and you. Why? I'll never understand it. But that's what he does. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. We pray you have been blessed by today's message. We would love to meet you in person. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org or call the church office at 352-472-3284. Thanks again for listening. Destiny Community Church, for life's journey.